This episode is brought to you by Serve HQ. Train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online, fast, and easy with Serve HQ. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 228. I'm your host, Rusty George. Thank you so much for joining us. I don't know if you've heard this yet or not, but we have just recently released a brand new video training course for pastors. Now, I say for pastors, anybody can purchase this and watch it and learn from it. But it's specifically designed for pastors who are leading churches because you're either in a crisis or you're headed towards one. Every single one of us face them. It just so happens here at Real Life, we walked through a lot in a short period of time. And we're going to share with you the things that we learned, the things we did right, the things we did wrong, the things we do different, and the experiences we've had so you can avoid any pitfalls in the future. Some of this information will help you avoid some difficult circumstances. Some of this information will help you respond to difficult circumstances. Some of it you can just transfer into a staff meeting or a leadership training. Call it your own. I don't even care. I just want you to get the help. So we're going to provide all this for you through my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com. It's simply the video training course of 12 episodes leading through crisis without becoming one. You can check that out and make sure you pick up a copy of that. Today we are sponsored by our friends at ServeHQ.Church. ServeHQ does an incredible job of helping your church succeed by giving you the resources to train your leaders to be the very best they can be. Hey, every leader wants to succeed at the job they're doing. They wanna feel like they're winning. They don't wanna just show up and be told, hey, stand here and make sure that no child escapes. They want to be told how they can succeed in leading kids to find and follow Jesus. So, how can you do that? ServeHQ.Church has video training that you can give to your leaders. You can even upload your own. So, check that out, ServeHQ.Church. Well, today our guest is Tiana Spencer. Tiana is a wife, a mother, she is a pastor, she's a leader, she's a teacher, she's a sought-after speaker. She has very popular YouTube videos of her teaching from her church uh, with Albert Tate in Monrovia, and it is an incredible honor to have her on the podcast. So, hope you're going to enjoy this and learn a lot from what she has to say. Here we go. Hey, Tiana Spencer, thank you so much for being with us for our audience that may not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am um, live in the Los Angeles area. I'm a teaching pastor at Fellowship Church. Um, I, my husband and I moved up here about 10 years ago. We have three girls, 15, 13, and my baby girl will be eight tomorrow. So we're kind of busy. Uh, my husband's a full-time pastor at Fellowship as well, and I get to travel and teach and get to teach there when I'm home. So That is fantastic. Are, are you from out here originally? Yes, I was actually born and raised in San Diego. Oh. So lived there until high school. Then I moved to the Inland Empire, Temecula is where I went high school, and then came out here, um, LA area, to go to Biola University and got a degree in biblical studies and somehow made my went back home for a little bit and then made my way back out here to like raise our family. So. Well, so at what point did you realize you had a gift to teach. You know, I've been teaching. I got saved at 14 and 
I just fell in love with the scripture. And so um, God ordained it. And my, my pastor, I, I was raised in a small black church in Temecula, really, when I got saved. And somehow my pastor had connections to um, K. Arthur and Precept Ministries. And so they offered the scholarship, me and like a few others of us from our small church, to go to Chattanooga, Tennessee for Teen Bible Boot Camp and where I got certified how to inductively study scripture. And then I just began teaching others how to inductively study scripture from the time I was 14. I um, I just loved, I would wake up in the morning before school and I would just study the word. And I just, I loved it. It wasn't the only thing that actually got me excited more than regular school. And so um, I felt like I didn't ever see it as really teaching, but you know, I, I, there was one point even in high school where I went, I felt like God was calling me just to spend my lunchtime reading because I was really, really busy and hadn't got a chance to spend time with the Lord. So I would spend my lunchtime reading the Bible and pretty soon people started asking what I was doing. And um, it ended up being a full-blown lunch uh, Bible study at a public high school. So I feel like God's always been elevating me to these places of teaching without even me trying to do that. And he started doing that really at the age of 14. So that was when I kind of started thinking, um, this is what I want to do. And so I went to school for biblical studies, knowing that it was really the only thing I wanted to study was more of God's word. And so, um, and it, you know, it had complications, but I loved it. And I've kind of just been teaching in certain ways ever since. I want to drill down on that. That's fascinating. For any student out there listening and thinking, I'd like to do that. What are some ways you navigated? You're reading the Bible at school and people are asking questions. Uh, what would you say to encourage them to bring people in rather than just push people away? Man, I mean, I feel like at that age, people are just trying to, I mean, obviously it, is, it was a different time. Teenagers now, it's, it's a different culture, you know? So I think, but I think in, in some ways, everyone's just looking for belonging. They're looking for, you know, someone to give them answers to the, the deepest aches of whatever they're feeling. So I feel like for me, I mean, I don't know, I didn't intentionally sell to do anything, but I just didn't turn anybody away. I was like, if you want to study the scripture, this is what it is. And we just did it. And people just kept staying and then they kept inviting people. So it was like, there wasn't a watering down or changing anything. It was like, I'm just going to be, let's just sit in the word. Let's just read it and let it speak for itself. And it just fostered dialogue, you know, and for some reason, and it's just God and his presence, he just kept doing it. You know, you've mentioned your love for scripture and inductive teaching and those kind of things. For somebody just starting out reading the Bible and they open it up and they just read it and it's just, okay, what do I do with that? What are some do's and don'ts as people are getting started that you've found to be really helpful? Um, I would start... Um in the book of John, I think just starting just to just or any of the gospels, just the learning about the person of Jesus, I think is a good starting point um, for anybody. I think um, if you can do it in community where you guys can wrestle with the stuff together and ask questions together, I feel like that's um, something that's good as well. There's a John, um, sorry, Francis Chan has a book called Multiply, which is I'm really letting out the basics of the gospel and the basics of Christianity that I think is good for a new believer. I was taking a new believer through it at some point. Um, so I feel like there's resources out there for new believers. When I just think about the Bible, I would think um, start with just learning about Jesus. 
things, you know, things can get complicated. You start just, I feel like just learning about the person of Jesus, um, even just like um, reading it slowly and meditating on him and engaging him in prayer and thinking about even just what you just read. I feel like that's like um, important because the theological questions they'll come, but I feel like it's just spending time meditating on the person of Jesus and learning his ways and why, how he did the things that he did and, and all that. I feel like that's just a good starting part for any, any believer. That's really good. What are you reading right now that God's using to speak to you? Oh, I read a, reading a few things. Um, I just, oh, what's the name? What's the name of the book? Whatever I say. I've been reading, um, I just finished the other half of the church which I loved. It's a book that specifically talks about um, how the church has been, been raised to really be um, left brain thinking. So we always, we focus on the left brain takes in information. So it's all on um, reading scripture, me- memorizing scripture, like all these things. It's just teaching and absorbing information um, versus the right side of the brain is all about feelings and, you know, imagination, all this kind of, all those things. This book makes the premise that we have just become a left brain discipleship, left brain church, and how a lot of people, especially people um, who come from a trauma background, we all need to really be engaging in full brain discipleship. So it gives you really good practices for actually bringing in um, the right side of your mind, all that God is. And it's been fascinating. I've just been putting even even some things in practice in my own life. I teach about this often in my sermons um, because it's been really healing to see that, man, yeah, we do. Because there's some that you see within the church where some people, like, they can do these practices and it does nothing for them. Other people can do these practices and it just, like, changes them. And so this book is really addressing why that difference exists and how we can actually um, really further transform our discipleship um, ministries and whatnot if we start approaching it that way. So I've loved learning about that. Well, that's great. It reminds me of that book years ago, Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. It talks about the different ways we connect with God and, and memorization and study is only one of them. There's so many different ways that we all get to God through Jesus, but we connect in different ways once we're there. And you're right. It's, the church has become just a information dispenser rather than actually uh, you know, experiencing yeah, it's, I think we're seeing, especially there's so much deconstruction happening now and, and everything. And I think uh, the younger generation, especially, like, information is not doing it. We need encounters with Jesus. You know, we need encounters with his presence. And there's so much that just taking in information, they've just been preached at for so long that we actually, it's like, how do we foster them getting to experience um you get to experience God and not just be given scriptures and, you know, all that stuff. So I think we're, we're, we're seeing even like less and less like transformation, it seems like, because um, the culture is just changing and people are like, then it's not, it's not enough to just throw a scripture at people anymore. Like, you know, so I think we're kind of, our, our prayer, our church anyway, me and my husband, my husband's over the formation discipleship, just really been praying, like, what does it look like for us to um, begin to like, radically transform even just our discipleship programs so that people can begin to experience more transformation by bringing in other practices and not just having them read, you know, just read a scripture or just, you know, be taught at on Sundays, but they can actually put practices throughout the week that will help them experience transformation in Christ. Mm. How's that work, working with your, your spouse? 
I know for some people it works really good and other people not. It seems like you're... Well, we don't really work together. We probably work together more now, um, but I've been part-time because I do travel and speak, and I've just been part-time um, speaking at Fellowship. So he's more in the weeds of stuff. He's more in that stuff. I Just this past year, we probably started to work together a little bit more. We used to work together full-time when we first got married like 16 years ago, and that was not well. But that didn't go very well at all. But, you know, we were first-year marriage. It was bananas. But now um, he just has he has his own. I respect the work that he does. I'm more I teach. I do all that stuff. Um, and so he respects what I do because he's like, I want nothing to do with the platform. I want nothing to do with preaching um, and I want nothing to do with his spreadsheets and his systems and all that stuff. So I feel like it kind of works together because I know he has his own. He trusts me when I have his own and we can kind of like, you know, work in the marriage with those two. But but generally we don't work a lot together, which I think is probably healthier. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of church planners uh, that that listen to this podcast, and, and they're working with their spouse. I think the clear boundaries, here's my lane, here's your lane, That that's what a lot of them are figuring out they got to have. So I want to ask you about your parenting, because here you are studying the scriptures. You have a certain way that you receive information from God. Are you seeing that your kids do it differently? How do you connect them to the scriptures in a way that makes sense to them? Um, you know, I grew up in a very Bible teaching church. And so, like I said, inductive study, Bible study was a big deal for me. Um, and so I, when the girls were younger, really did was spending a lot of time teaching them how to um, simply simplify the inductive study for them. And it was going well, but as I've gotten older as teenagers, they now have those things in them, but I don't like force them to stick with it. Cause my, my, my one girl, she's a very uh, creative, my middle daughter. And she just like, man, I, I said, I asked her, when do you feel most connected to God? She was like, when I'm listening to worship music, mm. then I'm like, babe, to go listen to worship music. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think there is, there is beauty in teaching them how to study scripture. And so my kids do know, but, um, the, the foundation, but at the same time, if you feel most connected and I want you to like spend time connecting with God. I think in the end, that's really yeah. what matters. Like, I want you to spend time connecting with God. But does she still do her Bible study? Um, yeah, she does. I think my oldest one, she's become more of a journaler. And I've learned as I've been on my own healing journey and growing in my relationship with God, journaling is a beautiful way to connect with God. And so for her, she has a foundation. She can always know how to go study scripture. Mm -hmm. And she does at times. But if she connects with God and feels God connecting with her through her journaling process, and I encourage her to do her journaling. Mm -hmm. My eight-year-old, um, we're reading Bible stories every night, and it's just fun just to see how she thinks. And I've also been with her, like we just had this um, the other night where she's just been having this fear of something bad happening to her at night, mm -hmm. and it's been causing a lot of anxiety. And so one night I brought her in the room, and she's just crying, and we prayed about it, but she's terrified to go to sleep. And I began to teach her this method that I even learned from the book, The Other Half of the Church, and something I've been practicing. Um, but I taught her, like, hey, Care, the, what's happening? You're actually safe in your bed, but you're imagining you not being safe, and it's causing anxiety. I was like, so you, you have to understand how powerful your imagination is, that you are imagining a moment where you won't be safe, and it is wreaking havoc in your body. And I told her, mm -hmm. if imagining something bad can wreak that much havoc in your body, what can imagining something good do? So I'm taking her and I'm saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get five core memories. Memories where you felt, how I do it for myself, you felt a deep 
joy and a, and the sense of pre- God's presence. I do this for myself. I get five memories where I felt deep joy and a sense of God's presence. And so me and Kara, we picked out the, the memories for her. And she's, I could see the joy in her even as she's describing the memories. So I said, here's what I want you to do. Let's do it together. Let's go back. Let's go close our eyes and let's go back and just relive that moment. And I want you to feel the joy you felt, like play it all out and then invite Jesus into that space and just engage with God, engage with him, talk with him. And so we're doing it. And it was um, just beautiful. Of course, she was first was like, this feels weird. But I'm like, you know, you're going to bed and imagining something bad. So let's go to bed and let's imagine being with God. I'm trying to teach her how to be with God. It's not saying it's it's a it's prayer, but, you know, I'm not telling her, hey, you just go pray. Like, I want you to go and experience joy. And so she goes to bed and she does it. And a couple of days later, she's like, mommy, I did that thing again last night. She's like, and I was just talking with Jesus and we were just talking. She's like, when I finished, I opened my eyes and I was just smiling and I was just able to go straight to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thank you, Lord, because what she's doing is she's praying and she's meditating on him. And she's also letting her brain even experience the joy that she once felt. And she's re um, experiencing that. Wow. And she's imagining a better story versus one that gives her anxiety. And so each approach with my kids has been different depending on the situation. But it's my main goal is I want you to experience God. And so as I'm growing in things, I'm slowly finding ways to teach them because when they leave my house, I want them to have anchors they can go back to. Should they go on whatever journey they go on, they will not forget. Mom taught me I can experience God. Mom taught me I can go and be with God in my mind at any time. Um, I can go experience joy and peace at any time. I can stop and take these thoughts captive. I can open my scripture and figure out what does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? You know, I can. they can have these principles in there and they'll be with them. My prayer is they'll be with them for the rest of their life. I trust that God and these deposits we're making will flourish them in the future. That's incredible. I think that's worth the price of admission right there. A lot of people are really going to replay that and process that. Such good stuff. Okay, I want to just shift gears to talk about your teaching element. I have heard from so many people what an incredible teacher you are, though we've never had the chance to meet physically or have you at our church to teach, so I'd love to have that sometime. You you grow up in... uh, in a church where I, I don't know if women teaching was a thing or if you had to break through some glass ceilings to get there, but you work with Albert Tate, who has encouraged this. You know, what did he do to help you leverage this gift? Uh, he forced me to do like it wasn't like, it wasn't no leveraging with Albert. If you met him, he's a full Enneagram eight, uh, and he did not give me a choice. He scheduled me and said, "This is the date you're preaching. Go." I think um, I did not grow up uh, and seeing women preach. I also didn't have I didn't have an agenda of I want to preach. It was like I just love studying God's word. I was teaching the Bible one on one across of tables since I was 14, just like even when I did youth ministry, I'm taking youth out. I feel like I started teaching, just taking kids out to get Mexican food and taking kids out to get in and out, you know? And so I've always been teaching in those contexts. Um, but I think um, I did start to feel like my church did a thing where when you were on youth Sundays, um, one youth would come up before the main sermon and just do a five minute sermon. Those are really my first sermons. I did I did it twice. I still remember the passages I taught on and did not know that God was forming me for what I would do. But I remember even in those moments, adults in the room like, wow. 
And I didn't understand it was a teaching gift, but it was just like, you know, I'm 15 years old and I'm just, this is what I see in the text. Let me share it. And so I didn't have the, I didn't have um, necessarily aspirations to be a teacher, but I started to feel, this is what I'm called to do. I didn't have context for it though, because I didn't see te- women being teachers. Now I would see, you know, on TVN or I watch Christian TV, I see some women doing it, but even still, it wasn't something that I was like set on. I just wanted to teach God's word in whatever way I could. And so, um, when I got up to LA to fellowship, but I, obviously I went to school to get a biblical studies major. I still didn't say, I didn't know what I was gonna do with that degree. I mean, people would ask me, I was like, I don't know. I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't wanna study nothing else, but I had no clue. And I did not have these big dreams to be on stages um, because I didn't grow up in that context. But when I came to fellowship, Albert knew just from our conversations, he'd never heard me teach, but from our conversations, he would say he would have conversations with me and it would feel like he was talking to some of his other preacher guy friends. And he'd never had that with, with a woman before. He'd never had those kind of conversations. And so um, he'll say that at some point, like he made this decision, like if women come to his church, because this is before I, we, we've been friends since our, my 13 year old was a newborn. So this was before I came up to fellowship. We had conversations where he was like, he made a prayer. If if, if God sends women to my church, I'll, I'll, I'll empower them and I'll mm. help them teach. I didn't know he made that prayer. Um, but years later, we felt like God was calling us to move here. And then he one day said, you're preaching. You're preaching. And I freaked out. And I was like, because I was like, no, like I grew up, it was like, but the church we had left had like maybe a hundred people. And I come to fellowship, but fellowship was a large church. And I was like, I'm not preaching. I didn't tell him that because you don't tell him no. But I told my husband that when I got home later on that night, I was like, he's crazy. I'm not doing that. But at the same time, I knew I had a gift. I knew I could teach. I didn't know I could necessarily preach and put together the sermon, but I, I felt like, okay, Lord, this is what I've been feeling like you're calling me to. I just didn't see it like this. Um, he put me up there and it was almost one of those, it was just a God moment where I was like, I didn't know I could put together a sermon. Mm. Oh, I didn't know I could stand it. It was like God was bringing me into my gift as he was showing me. Um, it's not just about meeting one-on-one on coffee tables, but I actually have a call in your life mm-hmm. to stand up there and declare the word of God. Um, all these years of inductively studying scripture was not just for you, but it's actually now, it's it's what forms your sermons. It's what forms how you read and how you then get up there and speak. And so... He put me up there the first time. And from there, you know, nowadays things get on YouTube and guys just started opening doors and yeah. and it came quick. And um, and honestly, I don't even feel like I was ready for it in a lot of ways because I did not I did not have an agenda. I want to be a traveling speaker and preach to thousands. I didn't. Uh, I just wanted to be faithful. And so I didn't expect doors to be opening. I wasn't planning to get on planes. I wasn't planning to go to churches. But as God started doing, I was like, oh, this is what you wanted. And mm. part of me wanted to run for a lot of years um, because when you're doing stuff like that, you come face to face with yourself a lot and the pride and all those things. And and part of me was like, just don't want to get it wrong. So there was a part of me that just wanted to like not do anything in public spaces because I'm like, God, I don't want to get this wrong. And I see a lot of people getting it wrong. And so um, there was a, there, I do this with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, God, I, I, I honor you and the gift you have in my life, and it is hard and it comes at a cost that most people don't understand, especially with my health, mm-hmm. um, chronic condition, I feel like, but I do it to honor you, um, and I just want to do it to the best of my ability. You know, so much of that is understanding who we are in Christ 
and I know that you talk a lot about our identity in Christ. Has that been a new revelation for you? Has that been a recent focus of your teaching, or have you always been wrestling with that? Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip people for your team. What if there was a resource that made it easier? Let me recommend ServeHQ to you. ServeHQ is simple video training courses that help you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people. Check it out at servehq.church. Now, back to our conversation. No, it's definitely new, newer uh, in the past. Like, been in church, love the Lord, serve in ministry. But it wasn't until probably 10 years ago I hit a wall where I realized you can read all the scriptures you want, you can teach, you can do all these things, but if you don't have your own um, emotional healing, if you haven't done that kind of work, um, at some point you're gonna hit a wall. Yeah, if there was, to me, there was, I, I, had to, I started getting in therapy and I started realizing how much um, trauma that I had that I did not realize. Uh, God began to do a deeper work in me. And from there, begin the identity stuff begin to surface because you know so many so many people are are functioning from an identity crisis and they have absolutely no clue. God and His grace began to reveal that to me about ten years ago, and I was into therapy, and it's been a journey of uncovering. And it's, God has been surfacing, and my therapist tells me God doesn't surface things to shame us, but to heal us. And there's been a lot of healing. There's been a lot of healing that I've had to do um, over the past uh, six years or whatnot. And I realized, my husband and I were just talking about this, how much, man, so much boils down to identity. So many reasons why people are trapped and stuck in repetitive sins, strongholds, not moving forward in what God's called them to do because we are believing lies about who we are, who we aren't. because so much of us come from, obviously I feel like trauma has infected all of us in some way, even if it's not these big T traumas, um, because we've all been raised by sinful humans who have their own traumas. So we all come into everything we do in some way with wounds and marred and our identities somewhat uh, damaged. And so I feel like this is a process. My, my, my passion is emotional healing as well as like biblical teaching. Like I have a passion for holistic faith because I was the Christian who did all the things and was completely emotionally broken and had no clue. My, my, um, my, the, the call of my life, I feel like, is to marry all of those things, to bring all of that to my teaching so that people in the body of Christ are not just memorizing scriptures, but they're actually moving forward and they're getting healing and, um, and God gave me a message some years ago called um, Daughters of Abraham. I believe on YouTube it's called Children of Abraham. But um, he gave me this message, and I had no clue of what he gave me. But it was this message that was really dealing with emotional healing. And I remember the first time I preached it, by the time I got to the end of it, the room was just women on their faces weeping. And I had no clue. That that was, and and hmm. then for that whole year, God, every conference I had to do, that was the message, 
that they needed. I preached that message in rooms for that whole year. And in every room, at the end of that message, women weeping at their feet, just like weeping and broken mm. over the wounds and stuff that had not been dealt with. It got to the point to where I would tell the conference people at the beginning, this is what's going to happen at the end. This is what you need to have ready. Prayer people, worship, because God does something. The last time I preached it on that year, um, I mean, the, the worship leaders were a wreck to where I had to sing my own worship song at the end because they couldn't even come up because God was just doing something. Everyone was a wreck. And afterward, this lady came up to me in tears and she was like, we need a part two. Like, what do we do now? Now that we're like, all this stuff is exposed. Like, what do we do? And I hadn't even started my own healing journey. I hadn't even started therapy. I had no idea what God had just unleashed. And I had this thing like, I don't, they're asking for something more. How do they walk out the healing? And I, I didn't know, but you know, everyone can afford therapy. You know, you can send them all to therapy. I knew that everyone couldn't, but then God put me on my own healing journey. And for the past six years, I've been on that. And now it's like, I realized as God took me that year, he showed me the amount of emotional brokenness that's in, in the church. He showed me the amount of trauma that's in the church and how much identity is broken in the church. And it's just become a, a huge part of what I feel called to do. Putting together a part two for what, how can I help people now as God has surfaced stuff, walk them through healing, um, as I've learned to walk through my own healing, I feel like that's just been a huge call in my life. And identity is not something, it's just a non-negotiable. Getting people solid in their identity, myself, it's just a non-negotiable to flourish in true healing and to be all that God's called us to be. Can you give us a teaser as to what might be in part two? <laughs> we'll put you on the spot God here. Is still, you are definitely coming on the spot. God is still doing so much and he's uncovering so much. But I, part two, I feel like it really is breaking down the journey that I've been on the past five years, the tools that God has given me. Um, I My teaching, especially as of late, has really included a lot of practical tools. Um, one of just helping people uncover what's there. Um, you know, Pete Scazzaro does this great emotional, healthy spirituality. It's just fascinating. The Enneagram, though it can be controversial to some people, has been greatly, greatly transformative in my marriage, just in my own wounds. It is it opened my eyes to so much. I think people understanding the first point of that message is um, 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 recognizing your posture. The message is about a, the woman who was bent over for 18 years. A lot of people confuse her with the woman who was bleeding, but this is a different woman in scripture who was bent over for 18 years. And uh, God said, come, and um, he healed her. And he said, you're a daughter of Abraham. You, you, you're you owed freedom. Like, this is who you are. You get to be free on this day. Because the Jewish people said, why are you healing her on this day? And God said, no, she gets to be free. And so this woman, though, I preach in that sermon, the first thing we have to do is recognize your posture, recognize that you need help. And I feel like part the first part of part two is getting people to recognize the brokenness, recognize the trauma, recognize what's happening. So using tools to get that, um, and that's going to be various tools, but I feel like that's part of it because most people are blind to that. And we think that everyone else needs help and we have no idea how we're showing up. Um, the second part would be just uh, respond to his pursuit. When Jesus calls, you come. Um, what does it look like to respond to pursuit? The practices that we need to be putting in place in our healing, some of the journaling we talked about, even the imaginative prayer I talked about. All of these things have have great, like, in insane ways changed my life um, because I do come from a traumatic background. It is an, it has helped me to actually be able to heal in so many ways. 
Um, and then the last thing is, is remember your position where God was like, she's the daughter of Abraham. They said, you can't heal today. It's Sabbath. He was like, but she's the daughter of Abraham. That's who she is. And there was this thing of like who she is determines the freedom that she's owed. And I feel like there's so many of us where we need to actually understand who we are, that we get to be free. How does that look like? I think we, it looks like a bunch of different ways, but sealing our identity in us, understanding who we are, actually begin to memorize and, and training our brains, etching new neural pathways. Like I'm into all of the neurobiology, everything. Like we can't even get into all of that today, but it's, it's literally me understanding like how the brain functions and what do we need to do to begin to believe truths and not living in the lies. You know what I'm saying? And I was just teaching about this this past Sunday at my church of just the function. God created our brains that if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, literally neural pathways get to etch. But if you go a different route, if you create new ones by believing the truth, by speaking the truth of yourself, the thing is most of us will not give the time it takes. We will give the time. We, we've been living the lies for a long time. So those things are set in and they affect how we live. And they affect then what we experience versus that we begin to actually actively take control. And that means we're, we're spending time journaling because writing with pen and paper does so much for your brain. But I can't even get into that. We're spending time journaling the truths about who we are. And we are rehearsing these things over and over again. And we are living as though I tell my daughter when she's going to school, I'm like, what if you lived as though the God's word was actually true? Like, what if the decision you make, I make a decision saying I am actually... I'm loved and I'm a masterpiece. I make a decision based on that. Like, what would a masterpiece do in this situation? I asked my daughter, like, do you know, not because you feel bad about yourself. So you, we're living that way because it's etched in our minds. But what, what would a masterpiece do? How would they respond? You know what I'm saying? What would someone who's fully loved by God and God has their back, how would they respond in this situation? Because we got to begin to do live that way. And it goes against what comes natural to us. But what comes natural to us a lot of times is just with things that are wounds and our trauma. So I'm teaching my girls and I'm teaching myself and I prayerfully want to teach others as God is doing this in me is how do you live according to the truth that he says versus the lies that a lot of us have been conditioned to live against. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Preach. That is awesome. So what are some of the rhythms that you've put into place? Because it's one thing to surface the pain. It's another thing to even attach healing to it. But, you know, sometimes it's like that stain in the carpet. It just keeps coming back up. So what do you do to keep uh, growing in your understanding of your identity? What are some rhythms of renewal that you've discovered? Yeah. Um, the, the biggest catalyst that, that's helped me, it's a few of them, but, um, and everyone can do this and I hate that it's a luxury because it shouldn't be, but therapy has been a huge deal for me. And I, I have a big soapbox about how therapy just should not be a luxury, but it is. Mm -hmm. And everyone can't afford it. Before I could afford therapy, I would s sit under people who had been in therapy for a while. Let me reach out to someone who's been in therapy. And I had a woman who was mentoring me and it was a blessing. Now, maybe that's not even an option, but, but specifically with therapy, one of the things it did was I had an environment where empathy was profound. Now, my therapist does not practice on her license because she loves to do a lot of inner healing prayer and stuff like that. And so um, I, I kind of have a therapist, spiritual direction, pastoral, she's everything. But we spent a lot of time um, revisiting traumatic wounds inviting Jesus into those spaces, letting him write new stories, um, 
engage in the right side of my brain has been a huge, because it was just shut down to trauma, has been a huge part of my healing. Every morning after I work out, I get my Bible and I do um, the imagined prayer that I talked about where I go back to one of those spaces I have felt deep joy and deep peace in the presence of God. And I just experience it. Mm. I invite Jesus into that space and I just feel the feelings. And then I, ga- I engage with God from that place. That has been huge for me to, en- to envision a God who's delighted to be with me, to not just hear it, but to close my eyes. Remember, man, this was a God-ordained moment. I remember these certain places where I just felt God's presence and his peace and deep joy. And I go back to those, but every day I do that. And then I'd spend time doing um, Lectio Divina, which is a practice of scripture, or I'll just spend time meditating on scripture. Um, that has been huge for me as well. The other thing that's been big for me is community. I don't think this gets done without community. I was just preaching this past week, the sermon I just did called One Last Word. Um, I talked about shame and it is prevalent in the church. It is wreaking havoc on our identities. And if you study, Kurt Thompson is one of the guys I love to study, he's a Christian psychologist. He has a book called The Soul of Shame. He has an amazing podcast called Being Known, but it says uh, shame actually is healed in community, right? It can survive a lot of places. Brene Brown will say this too, but if you want a Jesus version, go to Kirk Thompson. Shame is healed in community, destroyed in community, and um, and in vulnerability. I have been a part of a group of ladies we've met every other week for two years. And um, we just go and we spend time, we confess if confession's needed. We speak life over each other. Kurt Thompson says um, one of the ways to heal shame is to let some be, be a part of a community of people who are speaking the Father's delight over you hmm. because of what it does to your brain. He says, and then not only be a part of a community of people who are speaking the Father's delight over you, but intentionally and regularly confess your deepest shameful moments in that context of safe people that sounds terrifying you should have seen the church this past week they were terrified but it's good but it's healing it is what destroys shame because in that moment i get to sense my friend's plight from my pain i get to sense their empathy i get to be and then i get to tell myself a different story and i told them i had this moment where i had to go and confess something shameful to these group of girls something that i felt was shameful you know we all everything is way worse to us in our heads but the story the enemy was telling me is you're bad. Yeah. You can't tell nobody this. Yeah. You were yeah. wrong. And all the, and I'm believing all this stuff and I'm full of shame. And I remember going to the group and I was like, all right, I'm about to share this. And I remember saying it out loud. I was terrified. But their response was just empathy. Mm-hmm. They told it in a different way to me. They spoke the Father's heart over it. By the time they were finished, I was, first of all, shocked because I was, I'd only seen it one way. And if you learn anything about shame, it actually does, it disintegrates, it, 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 it takes, you know, separates uh, parts of your mind. So, like, I can't engage in right reasoning when I'm full of shame. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It creates isolation in your life as well, right? Because we isolate because we're afraid of being exposed. Um, in that moment, it was like parts of my mind came back together where I started to see a different story. And I can now tell that story without shame being attached to it mm-hmm. because I was, the Father's delight was spoken over it because someone else helped to repair that rupture. Community has to be a part of healing, not just any community, but a community where really you're, the four S's are present. You're being seen, soothed, safe, and secure. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what the four S's of, of healthy attachment. Dr. Dan Siegel is a psychologist. He talks about everybody from the time a newborn comes out 
In order to form healthy attachments, they have to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And I told the church this weekend, what if we all committed to be people, to where anybody that comes in our presence, shame is destroyed because I'm going to see them, I'm going to soothe them, I'm going to make sure they feel safe, and I'm going to make sure they feel secure. And Mm. I'm going to speak the Father's delight over them. If we all became people like that, shame could be healed. Afterward, people came up to me and just confessed because they just were holding stuff and they needed to just be they're okay and have the Father's delight spoken over them. So I think those have been integral parts of my healing that I can actually get into today. But It's a strange oxymoron we're living right now because COVID taught us how much we need community, but it also got us out of the rhythm of going to community like church. And we need that in order to resolve that. What can the local church do better to facilitate uh, an arena of it's safe here? Well, I think it's what I told them this weekend. It starts with everybody making that commitment. One, I think people just need to know. Most people don't know um, mm-hmm. that this is what's needed to to be safe. Like this, and I, and I told them this way. You have to be doing your own work of deep to become deeply self-aware so that because what's happening nowadays is people are just judgmental, you know, so it's like no one feels safe if they feel like they're going to be judged. If everyone, though, is doing their work of of getting to their own mess and understanding how human they are and they get to a place where that fosters humility and compassion, then we become way more open to, like Paul talked about, I was preaching the last chapter of Galatians this week, Paul talked about restore your brother, knowing that it could have been you. Most people, that we're not doing that because we're just, we're pointing the finger at our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul's like, no, um, in order to love and restore a person, in order to become safe, you have to first do the deep work, knowing it could have been you, knowing that you're human, knowing that you can make mistakes. My generosity and compassion opened up once I began doing this deep healing work. I was a little more judgmental on the side early, you know, because I'm like, I, you know, I think it's because if I'm not doing these big, huge, overt sins, you start to feel like you're good. And I, I did. I, I unintentionally, subconsciously started to feel like, and so then it's easy to point the finger at other people. But when the Lord was like, Tiana Boo, let me sit you down for a second. Let me, let me show you your mess. And then I began the process of therapy. The Enneagram opened my eyes, everything did. And I was like, oh shoot. And then I started to see if I'm this wounded and I've been acting from my wounds, what you're doing has actually nothing to do with me. You are wounded. You are acting from your wounds and you begin to have more of a compassion and an empathy. Mm. When you are compassionate and empathy, you become safer Mm. because, so I feel like the church has to do the work of like, the emotional healing. This is why I feel like it's just a big part of my thing. I'm like, we all got to do the work of emotional healing. We all got to get to the bottom of our own trauma. We all need to be practicing these tools where we become more empathetic people so that people can feel safe to confess um, because they know they're not going to be met with judgment. They can be met with people who know it could have been them and they're ready to receive you and speak the Father's delight over you. That's so good. I needed to hear that today. Thank you. Tiana, this has been amazing. Where can people find you on social or your website? Website's tianaspencer.com. Don't mind me because it's very outdated. I need to, her sister needs to hook it up, but it still gets me. Uh, there's speaker request form on there and there's you know email, you can email me. So you will still find me. Um, those are some of the older sermons, but uh, YouTube is all my sermons are on YouTube. If you look up Tiana Sermon, different churches, a lot of them at fellowship, you'll find all the sermons. And on um, Instagram, I'm Tiana M. Spencer. 
Facebook, don't mind that. But Instagram, I'm Tiana. <laughs> Tiana M. Spitzer. You'll find me there too. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. This has been an honor. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you share this with a friend. Such great stuff in there about how to deal with overcoming shame and and understanding your own personal passion and vision and where God's taking you in your life. So make sure you pass this on to somebody else. Make sure you leave us a review. Next week, we'll be back with a, a pastoral legend, Dr. Crawford Loritz. He has spoken to presidents. He's spoken and led prayers at Super Bowls. He's led churches, he's led movements, and he is an incredible wealth of wisdom. I'm just still shocked I got to talk to him, and I know you're going to learn a lot from what he has to say. So Crawford Loritz uh, makes navigating culture simple next week on Leading Simple. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Learn.